This is a story about love. Love that came down from heaven. Love lived with us. Love spoke. Love healed. Love drew crowds. Love changed lives. Love made waves. Love was bold in the face of enemies. Love was true, no matter the cost. And love was faithful. Love prayed, listened, and obeyed. Love knew what had to be done and did it. Love was betrayed and abandoned. Love was silent when wrongly accused. Love was whipped. Love was beaten. Love was tortured and mocked. But love was strong. Love dragged itself to a cross and laid down willingly to be insulted, shamed, nailed, stabbed, ripped, abandoned, and killed. Love hung from nails as the crowd looked on, and God looked away. Love denied comfort. Love refused rescue. Love courageously did what love had to do. Love sacrificially did what only love could do. Then love took one last breath and finished. Love gave his life. Love paid our debt. Love saved us all. Even when we were not worth saving, that's real. That's love. real love. That's real love. That's real love. Well, good morning, church. Hey man, so glad you guys are here today as we do every first day of the week, get together as God's family to celebrate our risen Savior and all the wonderful blessings that he's given each and every one of us, amen? It's always a joy to get together to celebrate that uh, the, the man that went the full measure, went to the cross so that our relationship with our creator would be one and the same, that it would be healed, that you and I could lay down our burdens and say yes to love, yes to Jesus Christ and the joyful life that he's given us. Uh, to live in such a blessed way uh, in the world that we live in. I want to say welcome to our guests that are here this morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, if that's you, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, and our hope would be, of course, if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to be a part of our Cross Point family, to jump in with us and telling the story of Jesus Christ, that story of hope uh, that says Jesus Christ has done enough, God is enough, and I want to be a part of the blessing that he is going to give me in life. I want to wrap all that up and be a part of telling that story all around me. I want to be a messenger of love to a world that desperately needs that message, amen? I mean, we need to be telling the world what Jesus Christ has done for us and living that out in our lives through words and action, but letting the world know how much Jesus Christ truly means to us. We are going to be in 1 John chapter 4 this morning, and I hope you've got your Bibles and will turn with me there. Uh, there are going to be a few texts that I'm hoping that if you've got your Bible with you, you'll circle, underline, put an asterisk by, because they're going to be very important texts. As John uh, reminds us what it means to be the church, people of God, the family of God. We've been talking about how John, in about 95 AD, wrote to the churches in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. Uh, and how he was trying to resolve some false teaching that was going on about Jesus Christ. What he wants the church to know is that Jesus Christ is the same as God, and God is love. And so our life is to revolve around how Jesus lived his life and imitate him in every way possible. 
Today we're going to talk about walking in his footsteps. What does it look like to look like Jesus? Uh, And our life is going to hopefully reflect that as we unpack and dig into John's letter this morning. We started out in this series a few weeks ago talking about staying in the light, living in the light, staying on the path that God has given us through Jesus Christ, staying on that path together as a community in the family of God. And today we're going to talk about imitating uh, Jesus Christ in a life that looks like love. But love is, is more than a feeling, isn't it? It truly is. Uh, there was a, a band out uh, several decades ago by the name of Boston. Anybody familiar with Boston? Got a few hands. Believe it or not, I was getting this ready this past week. I had this slide up on the screen. Uh, a young uh, staff member who will remain unnamed walked through, and they were peering at that picture, and they said, is that a real band? I said, are you serious? <laughs> yes, of course. Boston, more than a fee. Anyway, I won't really say But that's... That's what they were saying, and it's so true. It's more than a feeling. But you know what? We think about what Jesus Christ has done for us, and so many times we feel like we don't deserve what he's done, and frankly, we don't deserve. And when we think about how that life has unfolded for us and what Jesus Christ has done for us, it should move us, it should prompt us to wanting to spread that love around to all those that we come in touch with to tell that message of hope that is Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we unpack some more of John's letter to that church, that first century church, which in turn is being unpacked to us today, hopefully we'll look at maybe three different ways that love helps us understand who God is. And that very first idea is this, that love lets us know or helps us know who God is. It lets us know God. John says in verses 7 and 8 of 1 John chapter 4, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Now, I want to stop there for just a moment. If you've got your own Bible, I want you to underline that first part of that verse. I want you to circle it, put an asterisk by it, whatever you need to draw attention, because there are moments in life where, frankly, you get on my nerves. It's true. And I get on your nerves. We, somebody said it's true. I heard that. I'll expect you to come forward, Bill, at the end. There are times when we don't root for the same team, where we get crossways with one another. But John reminds us as people of God, as people who have said, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, he says, let us continue to love one another. Even amidst, amidst our conflict, our button heads sometimes, He says, why? Because love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, I want to remind you that John is writing to a group of people that are saying, you can't really know God unless he gives you a special message. And John is saying, wrong. We can know God because God is love. And so if we live a life of love, then we know God. And how do we know how to love? We look at the life of Jesus Christ, and that shows us how we are called to love. But sometimes we end up creating God in our image, don't we? 
We end up making him the thing we want him to be, or at least how we envision him to be. For instance, some of us may think of him as this very harsh referee. He's just a a God that's kind of upstairs with a lightning bolt in his hand, and the second you mess up, man, he's got you pegged. He's just waiting for you to mess up. That's his job. And you think in your mind that is God, or maybe maybe you think that he's this kind of... uh, inventor that kind of walked away after the moment created the earth got it spinning created me and you and then just kind of stepped back that he really doesn't get involved in our life that he really isn't a part of what's going on day to day in each of our worlds or maybe you think he's like a, a doting grandfather just get you anything that you want we're going to go to dairy queen whatever it takes we're going to get you taken care of we're going to buy 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 for you. we're going to take care of you And the reality is that none of those are true. John tells us who he is, but our tendency tends to be to create God in the image that we want to see him in. And here's the danger when you and I make a decision to do that. When all of a sudden God doesn't do what we've designed him to do, we get irritated and we step away thinking, you know, maybe God isn't real. Maybe I really don't need Jesus Christ. After all, the God that I've imagined hasn't come through with me, for me, on more than one occasion. But John reminds us in his letter that God truly is a loving father. That that he truly is a father figure who wants the very best for you in life. He wants to dote on you. He wants to love on you. He wants to be a part of your life in so many different ways. Chris Tomlin has a great song out called Good, Good Father. Anybody know that song? Heard that song? Now it's going to be in your brain the rest of the day, right? Because I brought it up. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. That's who God is to you and to me. Some of us, though, haven't had maybe a great earthly father. And for many of us, we think of heavenly father, but we use the template of our own earthly father, and that can be dangerous as well. John Bishop has a book out entitled God Distorted. And in the book, on the front end, he begins to talk about those different templates that we use for God because at times we use the image of our earthly father. The last half of the book, he goes through and tries to to remedy and fix all of those different perspectives that we have about God, reminding us that he is indeed truly a loving father. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, um, there's about 15 different times that God is mentioned as a father figure, a concerned parent, if you will. But in the New Testament, he's mentioned that way some 245 times, as a loving father, a concerned parent, a father figure who wants to be deeply involved in your life. God is a provider who is full of grace and mercy no matter what you've got going on in your life. He wants to be a part of what's happening. He wants to bless you in so many different ways, but he's also a good father in that he disciplines as well. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You want to give your kids every possible opportunity. You want to give them every good thing in life, but you also want them to be people of integrity, people of character, people who are kind and humble, and that takes discipline along the way. 
I thought I might get an amen from the youth group, but I, maybe not. I mean, how you view God will affect the way that you relate to God. I mean, what, what does John say in verse 8 that we just read? That God is love. That's who God truly is. And love is a passageway to understanding who God truly is, and we are called to imitate Him by loving on people and staying in the light and staying on the path that he's given in order to get the most blessing from him that we possibly could, to to enjoy all the things that God wants to give us as a loving father. But love is not only how we know God, love is also how we see God in our life, how we visually get hold of him. Take a look what John says in verses 9 and 10. God showed how much he loved us by sending his son, his one and only son, into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. John wants to remind us that God loved us before we even loved him. While we were even pushing back against God, while we were beating up on Him, while we were spitting in His face, while we were doing our own selfish thing, God still pursued us. He ran after us, giving us fully His Son. And Jesus, when He came down to earth, was the first time that His creation, humankind, had ever seen God. What God looks like, how He lives, what His expectation is, what His character and nature is. And when we share loving ways with those around him, then we see God alive in our life. And the world sees God when we make a decision to live life in love. I mean, think about those moments that you have shown love before, even right here at this congregation. This fall, we'll go back to school. Already talking about that. Can you believe it? But this stage will be full of supplies that you will buy for kids and families who cannot afford the supplies they need for their kids to go back to school. You'll give that to those families, and that is a loving thing to do. Right now, we are putting change inside these baby bottles that are out here in our commons because we want to help the pregnancy center right here in Grand Prairie. There are some young women who never thought they would be maybe where they're at right now, and they need some help. And so in a loving way, we're trying to assist in that. Some of you will go to Honduras this summer and build houses for families who don't have a house. They're sleeping on a dirt floor. But you'll take a week vacation and you'll sweat in the sun and you'll give that family something they've never had before. Or maybe this Christmas you'll adopt one of uh, the uh, deaf orphans at Sam's Place in Kenya and you'll send them a Christmas gift. We've seen their pictures and their smiles as they open those gifts because they know people in Grand Prairie, love them, helping them. Maybe some of you will go downtown Dallas and help feed the homeless. People can never give you anything in return, but you're there to serve. Why? Because your heart's in the right place. You want to love. You want to look like Jesus. And that's the type of lifestyle that we are called to as disciples of Jesus Christ. We're called to stay in the light to stay on the path, and that path is a pathway of love. That's how we're different than the world around us. 
And God showed his love by sending his only son while we were still sinners. Jesus came anyway. Oh, what love, church. Isn't it glorious? Isn't it awesome to know that you have a God that loves you so much? Despite you being rebellious, he sent his son anyway. What a joy. Toward the end of the year, we look at November and December, and that's a a time of the year when we begin to think about service and loving on people and and helping folks who might be in need. But what, what would happen if you and I made a decision to live in love every month of the year? What would it look like if we thought about that in February and in June? I find it interesting how we rationalize sometimes the opportunity that we have to show love. Maybe the the bathrooms need clean. Maybe on Wednesday night, uh, our youth group needs a small group leader. Maybe on Sunday morning, we need teachers for our kids. Maybe in the summertime, we need folks to help and go on a mission trip or lead vacation Bible school. Hint, hint. There are all kinds of moments that come up, but yet you and I, we open our calendar and I think, I'm a little too busy. That's, That's for somebody else to do. And God, through his son Jesus Christ, calls us into a life of service. That's how we're different than the world around us, is that we make a decision to show love. You see, love, even with a busy schedule, figures out a way to serve. Because after all, John did say that God is love. And love is sacrificial. Have you ever thought about how many... How many times in a day, I mean, if God is everything he says he is, and I believe he is, how many times in the course of a day has he opened a door for you to show love, for you to reach out and serve or help someone, even in the smallest way? And how many times during the course of a day have you and I walked past that opportunity, not giving it a second thought? I mean, would me constantly looking for ways to love on people, for ways to to serve as Jesus did, would that transform my life? You bet it would. If I made a decision from the moment my feet hit the floor on on a morning, through the course of the day, to look for ways, God, how are you using me today? What opportunities are you sending my way? How can I show love to the people that I come in touch with today? John says in John 14, Jesus says in John 14, rather, in verse 9, he's talking to the disciples, and they're wondering, Jesus, how come we haven't seen God yet? What does God look like? And Jesus replies, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is trying to make it plain. John's talking about God is love, so What does God look like? And Jesus says, if you've seen me, then you've seen God. If you've seen my life, my nature, my character, then you know the nature and character of God. God is love. And so watching Jesus' life in the gospel accounts dictates how we're called to love on people and follow God even to the point of the cross, whatever his plan is. That's what I want to be a part of. And many of you have done that over time. I've seen you open your homes to to our connect group any given day of the week 
Open your door and have a Bible study. I've seen many of you give up vacation and go on those mission trips. I've seen many of you take a Saturday afternoon and go to help with tornado cleanup. I've seen many of you uh, welcome folks on a Sunday morning or show up early to set up the hospitality area. I've seen quietly folks sit back in our AV area to make sure everything runs properly on a Sunday morning. There are multiple ways that you have shown Christ in your life. But at the end of the day, what we know is that love is how we follow God. At the end of the day, if we're truly a disciple of Christ, if we're truly following God, then love is going to be extremely evident in our life. Service to others, how we treat and talk to others. I mean, what does John say in verse 11 and 12? John says, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. John says that we ought to love one another. That, that phrase, ought to, in the Greek, means that I'm obligated. It means that there's a condition there, that I'm going to love you like this unconditionally. I'm going to move forward in that process. I'm going to feel indebted to love you because of the way God has loved on me. My life will be different because I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I will look different than the world around me. What we see and how we see God, again, are in the nature and character of who Jesus Christ was. You simply look at how he followed his father's plan and how he loved on other people no matter where they found themselves in life. And you'll see how we are called to imitate that, to love as well. You and I, we talked about the first week that in this series, how we are called to live in the light, to walk in the light, and you and I want to be there in the light, but the trouble is that we're all human beings, and we fall down, we make mistakes. I find myself at times living in the shadow when I want to be in the light, and you and I are not alone in that. Probably one of the greatest Christians of all time, the Apostle Paul, has the same issue. He talks about it in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. Here's what Paul says. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. Now, if you've got your own Bible, that's when you need to circle, underline. The trouble is with me. I've got it circled and underlined in my Bible too, just to let you know. Thanks for the courtesy laugh. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right But I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it, but it's sin living in me that does it. Paul says I struggle with the same thing that you guys struggle with. The very thing I want to do, loving on people, loving God, staying in the light, staying on the path. Paul says, I have the same trouble. I find myself drifting, but I want to come back to what I know to be is right. I want to follow God because that's 
where true love is. That's the struggle we have in our life as Christians, staying in the light. And John is trying to coax us out of that shadow back into the light. English is an interesting language, especially American English. It's a conglomeration of lots of different languages pushed together. Uh, We, for instance, the word love is one of those that we use for just about everything. Uh, For instance, I love pizza. Anybody with me on that? I love pizza. I love dipping pizza in ranch sauce. That's not good for you, but I do it anyway. It's good. I love Coca-Cola. I love the Dallas Cowboys. I love my kids. I love my wife. You see how we're using the same word for different levels of what we would say that's different levels of, of love. But in the Greek, there's four different kinds of love that can be used. They're different words meaning love. The first one I want to acknowledge is eros, and it is this idea of this strong sexual attraction. It's kind of the biological aspect of love, kind of the lustful thinking, if you will, eros. And then there is phileo and storge, and that's kind of a familial love. It's like brotherly love. You've heard of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's this uh, word is in Philadelphia. And then there's agape. And, and agape means unconditional love no matter what. However bad you treat me, however poorly you speak to me, whether you include me or not in the activities, I'm going to love you. I'm going to agape you anyway. Those are the th- four rather words that can be used in New Testament Greek. And John always uses the word agape. This unconditional love. When he says, love as Jesus loved. When he says, God is love. And when he's talking to the disciples and he says, you should love one another. Every single time it's the word agape. It's the same word that Jesus uses in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. When Jesus says, so now I am giving you a new commandment, agape each other. Just as I have agaped you, you should agape each other. Your agape for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. That's how we're different than the world, is how we love each other, and frankly, how we love the world, despite where they find themselves. It's loving like Jesus, because God is love, and we're called to that type of life, that Lifestyle, And so we're called to love people no matter their color, no matter their race, no matter their socioeconomic stance in life, no matter if they're Democrat or Republican, it doesn't matter. We love people. We don't judge because that's God's job. That's not my job. We're simply called to imitate Jesus Christ and love people. And that's what we're, we want to do. John uses that family language all through his letters, even in his gospel account. Together, we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. No one is better than the other one. We are all equal adoptees in the family of God. We're all the same. John says, you can know God by loving God and loving each other. You see, agape is a love of intention. 
it's saying despite the hardship, despite conflict at times, despite whatever might be going on in life, I'm going to love you no matter what because that's the type of life that God's called me to live. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to imitate him. And as much as it may hurt, I'm still going to love you because that's the type of love that God gives to me. And so I want to pass that on. You see, God loves me despite the moments I fall down, despite my bad decision-making, despite anger that comes out of my mouth, the words that come out of my mouth, whatever my business or addiction is, whatever is going on in my life, for God, he continues to pursue me because he loves me, love in the agape style, unconditionally. So much that John mentions in John 3.16, this very popular text. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God gave unconditionally to you and to me. Despite our pushback, despite our rebellious attitude, he still came after you and me. And I'm so thankful he did. Aren't you? Well, what a joy it is to know that we have a God that loves us that much. To to say, I've got one son, and to get your relationship right with me, I'm going to have to give him up. I'm going to have to allow him to die on a cross so that his blood will cleanse your lives. I am willing to do that in order to get you back. What a joy it is to love a God who loves unconditionally, who says, I want you in my life, and I want to give you the most blessing as a loving Heavenly Father I possibly can. Won't you join me in that? God says, come into my story. And John reminds us, stay in the light. Stay on the path and stay on the path together because it's in that moment that we juxtapose ourselves against the world And the world scratches its head and says, how can they be so joyful? How can they be so loving despite what's happening to them? And we turn and say, it's because of Jesus Christ that I'm there. Not anything that I've done, but what God's done for me through his son. Oh man, I want to share that story with the world, don't you? It's that message of hope that is Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite Brad and the praise team back to the stage at this time. And our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And my guess is in a crowd this size this morning, there are some of us who've got some speed bumps in our life that we need to get rid of. Some of us may have things in our life that are coming in conflict with that loving attitude that we should have. And it's time to forgive. It's time to offer grace and mercy. It's time to let go. It's time to lay it all at the foot of the cross and say, God, I want all the blessing you have to give me. I don't want anything holding that back. I want to live in the light, and I want to stay on the path. Help me do just that. Help me praise your name every day of my life and ask God, where can I love like you have loved today? Let's stand and sing together.